Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. During this episode, we will talk with Paul Dunn. Paul is a four-time TEDx speaker, senior fellow in one of the world's leading think tanks, and holds a lifetime service award to the accounting profession in the UK. He was honored as a social innovation fellow in his new home of Singapore, something he shares with film star and philanthropist Jet Li and Walmart chairman Rob Walton. He was one of the first 10 people in HP in Australia, and he then created one of Australia's first computer companies. He then created the Results Corporation, where he helped develop and grow 23,000 small and medium-sized businesses. His first mark on the accounting profession came through the Radical Accountants Boot Camp. That enabled 17,000 accountants worldwide to work with their clients in new and innovative ways. And he continues to push the boundaries. He was recently featured in Forbes magazine alongside Sir Richard Branson and a global piece on disruptors in business. You might know him as the co-author of the book with Ron Baker, The Firm of the Future, widely regarded as a breakthrough book for professional firms and one that has definitely made a huge impact on me personally and the way I coach accounting professions across the country. He is the chairman of the revolutionary B1G1 Business for Good, a company that's already enabled businesses to create over 87 million giving impacts around the world. Now, this is a very interesting fact. He clocks 1.2 million air miles every year, and he tells me his baggage does nearly 2 million miles. <laughs> Paul, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> and my baggage made it safely as well. <laughs> it does make it eventually. I hear that. Yes, great. Joe, it's awesome to be with you. Thank you for inviting me and for taking the time. Well, it's a real honor. I'm a big fan of the book, and it's the book that I want to talk about on our podcast episode today. Sure. The book is titled The Firm of the Future, but it was written about a decade ago. So here we sit chronologically in the future, and I have this nagging suspicion that we have reached the future chronologically, but not quite reached the challenge you gave us about a decade ago. Mm. The book is so full of challenges. Folks, I recommend that you go get it. It's available on Kindle firm the future. But there were three very specific challenges that I want you to address that you made to us 10 years ago that I suspect maybe you might have some advice for us today on how we can fully embrace them. Sounds great. And the first comes with this obsession our profession has with efficiency. <laughs> uh, you know, that there is a model for productivity, for revenue, for profitability in an accounting firm that is based on people power times hourly rate, times efficiency, and we've been living by this model now for decades, some might argue for centuries. Mm. Why do you in the book say that an efficiency obsession or an efficiency focus is less than ideal? Well, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it's funny when you when you mentioned the equation, I mean, the hairs on my skin stood up, right? And it's so right. I mean, it, it's like something that, in a sense, could have been designed for 100 years ago, right? Because with the business model that existed right then, you're right. We are in this place where, for all sorts of reasons, it's very different. One of the things that I talk about is that there's never been such a time as this, and yet we still persist in using this really, really 
outdated, outmoded, nothing to do with the future at all model that, that locks us into efficiency. And importantly, the problem with it is, Joe, that it forces us to measure entirely the wrong thing. The thing that the client or the customer just is not interested in. And yet we focus on it to our detriment. And as you know, in the book, we kind of kill that thought and say, you know what? There should be a brand new model that still some firms have got to come away to embrace. In this time where technology is so pervasive, what, what happens is they think, oh my goodness, you know, I've embraced the cloud, therefore, you know, I'm innovating and everything else. No, you're not. We need to be very, very clear about it. No, you're not because you're still stuck in this model that Joe was talking about before. And, and we think, as you say, in the firm of the future, we said, no, 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 it's time to put that to bed. It really is. Okay, so if it is time to put it to bed, meaning that the standard equation we've based all of the economics of the professions on is people power times hourly rate times efficiency is the economic measurement of success if all those are firing well. And, and by the way, the obsession with efficiency comes because you can't do much about uh, hourly rate. If you're billing by the hour, that's set by your market, right? And you can only push it so far. Um, you can't do much about the people power cost because, you know, there's a cost of living that's required and you have to market your firm in, ter in terms of being an employer. Those are relatively fixed in place. Yes. You, can, you can move them a slight degrees, but the only one where you can create massive movement is efficiency. So the only way that you can increase margins in significant ways is to get highly innovative around efficiency. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, not saying not to do that, saying – what, what you're saying, Paul, is that's not the ideal. So if efficiency isn't the measurement, what is? Well, effectiveness is the measurement that we need to be concerned with, not efficiency. And we need to understand that the old model, you know, it works in all sorts of cases. It works if you consider yourself to be a service worker. But the problem with that is that's not actually what you ought to be. And that's not what your clients are screaming for you to be. I mean, what they're really saying and what we need to embrace is this whole concept that you're a knowledge worker. And when you embrace that, then you suddenly realize that that particular equation has to be replaced. And, and Joe, you said it beautifully. If you're going in the old model, then you're going to be focused on that whole efficiency thing because it's the only thing you can move. But if you change what the equation is, then all of a sudden you get different levers that you can start to pull. All right. So, Paul, since efficiency is not the component of the correct equation and effectiveness is... I'm just going to pull the equation you gave us right out of the book. Profitability equals intellectual capital times price. And I want you to distinguish between hourly billing and price mm. times effectiveness. Now, in the book, you say that creates an obsession with intellectual capital, obsession with knowledge. I want you to delineate between price and hourly in just a minute. But can you drill down a little bit on why an equation based on effectiveness would create an obsession with knowledge. 
Oh, because all of a sudden, I mean, that's what you're getting paid for, right? <laughs> you're getting paid in an entirely different way. You're getting paid for advising. You're not getting paid for reporting on history. You're getting paid for creating history. And, you know, Joe, for me, actually, I'm not sure that we really mentioned it in the book, but the more I get into this, the more I see it. And that is to understand the role of the accountant. I don't think there is any profession better than the accounting profession that does this. And we need to understand it. Accountants change lives. That's what actually happens. That's what accountants do. And they do that not because they spend time on things, but because they have certain knowledge that when they bring that in a particular way to their clients, it just changes everything. And we need to understand that as a profession, unless and until we seriously understand that what we do is change lives. And we are going to be locked in this whole thing that is in the past, as far as I'm concerned, which is driven by that old equation. And what the new equation does, and yes, it's a beautiful equation, but the picture that it paints is an entirely different picture of the value that accountants bring. It, well, and I, I agree because it's focused not on me, it's focused on the client. And you guys make this really, really cool point, and I can't remember if it's in the book or something I heard Ron Baker say in a presentation once, that, that the client is, the, is actually the product. Yeah, uh, the true. service we provide isn't. And, and when you are a knowledge worker, I like the way you phrase that, when you're a knowledge worker, it means that you aren't delivering knowledge, you're leveraging knowledge in order to transform a client. And the, there's a thought leader here in the U.S. who works with a lot of the larger firms named Gary Boomer. Oh, and, dear Gary. Yeah, I'm sure you know Gary very well. And Gary's uh, come to, you know, his challenge, everybody's trying to come up with a very effective way to describe trusted advisor. And he's, he's calling them uh, transformation agents. Yeah. I think it's, it really hits the point. And what I'm hearing you say, Paul, is if we're going to be transformation agents, we can't do it unless we have the right kind of knowledge that we are leveraging on behalf of the client in a way that is effective. That, that, exactly correct. Exactly, exactly correct. And I, I wasn't aware that Gary is using uh, that term. It's awesome that he is because it really nails it. And it gives you a totally different relationship uh, with the client. It's kind of like, Joe, I know that, that you have this interesting distinction around service workers, you know. And, it, you know, the guy who comes to fix your broken TV or your, or your broken refrigerator isn't going to transform the life. He's going to keep it the same as it is, and you're going to be concerned with efficiency and not effectiveness. But there's another way of thinking about that when you move into the knowledge space where people are going to give you brand new things, which are going to help you do brand new things in brand new ways, and not just transform the firm, right? That's very important, but actually transform the clients. And as a result of that, and we really need to understand this, transform the economies of which we're a part. And that is a huge, huge thing to understand that accountants do. Uh, and, and, you know, you brought up the TV repair person, and, um, and it's very easy for us to distinguish between, say, that person who we might call blue-collar, right, or field service worker. Uh, we definitely wouldn't consider that a member of the professions, right? But then, but then the people that fix more complex machinery, architects, engineers, 
or if you want to consider our bodies a form of a machine, doctors, all of a sudden the level of the complexity of the machines that they fix thrusts them into the profession. And this was a, a myth that basically you and Ron taught me this is <laughs> that just because my machine I repair is more complex doesn't it may mean that I'm in the professions. It doesn't mean I'm a knowledge worker. Correct. That means a surgeon's a, sur a surgeon is a service worker. Yep. So give me an example then of how a knowledge worker operates. If a service worker is the tax return preparer, the auditor, the bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. okay. What's a role of the knowledge worker? Well, the knowledge worker is basically, I mean, they kind of begin by in a, in a totally different place. And, and they begin by trying to find out where things are at and trying to find out where you want to be. And this is how essentially they capture the value so that they understand that the value has everything to do with the extent to which they move you forward. Okay, that's the value to the client. And, you know, some aspects of financial work, if you like, have really understood that for decades. But the problem is that accountants haven't because we've been locked. And actually talking with you now makes me see it even clearer. The moment you're locked into the equation, that old equation, oh, Joe, it's so cool. Working with that equation locks you into being a service worker. It absolutely locks you there. And that's not where the client wants you to be. They want you to be doing very, very different things. And, and if we use Gary's term, yes, transformational agent, that's where you need to go. And the only way you can do that is by conducting the work that you do in a totally different way and finding out where the client is, finding out where the client wants to be. Oh, here's another way of thinking about it, finding out the impact the impact of what it is you're doing. Because when you quantify that impact, then what you're really getting a hold of is the value in a totally different way. And when you quantify that impact, you will discover something very interesting, that the impact that you bring has nothing whatever to do with the time that it took you to get that impact. It's an irrelevance to measure it any other way. And so that then leads us into this whole concept then of if that's true and if you know and price is an important component here now then that means that we really seriously have to start to price in a totally different way now the good news is that the profession has understood that billing in arrears is a crazy crazy way to do things and so what many people think is and you know you're seeing lots of websites these days where people say well you know there's three ways to buy our services you know there's what's called the bronze silver platinum or whatever it is and they think, oh, look at that, we're really innovating. No, 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 no. You're not doing that at all because fixed price, whilst it does solve some issues, still does not solve the major, major issue. And that's just being like a, a refrigerator technician who's figured out, you know, normally it costs me X dollars. And so I'm not going to measure time. I'm just going to say on average, it's going to be, you know, Y dollars to fix this thing. That's not moving in the right way. Now, you know, there's some interesting numbers from the United Kingdom right now where, you know, something like 60-odd percent of uh, the profession are moving to that so-called fixed-price thing. The problem is they're thinking that they're innovating by doing that, and they're not. And only still about 10%, according to the UK, 
numbers are moving to a true understanding of value pricing. And when you move to that true, true understanding of it and the true understanding of your position, when you understand that you change lives. I mean, Joe, if you really got that you as an accountant change lives, how on earth could you charge for that in six-minute units? I mean, come on. You, you couldn't. I mean, even MasterCard are smart enough to say that's priceless. You know, it, it really is. And it's, it's priceless because we're delivering it in a brand new way. All right. So what I'm hearing you say, Paul, is the hourly model, and I think a lot of people have heard arguments as to why that's broken on so many levels, uh, philosophical, practical, and I couldn't agree more. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying we have to be careful of fixed fee because, and then calling it value pricing because fixed fee is really just a way of averaging out and amortizing an hourly bill rate yep. that, quite frankly, may be more sellable, but it just puts risk on the firm in a cost-plus model where we might have fluid costs but controlled revenues. Yes. Exactly. So, in, and you're saying with value pricing – you create an effective result. In the book, you guys call it an increase of wealth. That's what we call uh, it, yeah. Absolutely. So you create an increase of wealth, and then you price how against that wealth. I mean, what's the way it works? How does it work? The judgment of value is always with the client in some way, right? It's an entirely different discussion where you are quantifying that impact. You're quantifying it, and then you're really saying that you believe this is bang. This is what the fee should be for bringing that. And it has nothing whatever to do with the time in which that you created it. It has to do with the knowledge and the insights and everything else that you were able to bring to create that kind of output, if you will, that kind of wealth for the client. And obviously, when you do that, there's, there's a couple of interesting things. One, the more value you create, then the more the price can be. But you see, there's also a downside. Once you get that you're not creating value, then what are you going to do for that? And the answer is right. You're not going to charge for it at all. Um, it's, it, you know, because, and not too many people talk about that. But there's that interesting paradox. It's not just about, goodness me, when I adopt this particular model, I actually can charge more. In one sense, that's, you know, that's an attractive sort of proposition. But there's another sense, I think, in which we can kind of live better, if you like, and we can sleep better. And that is to understand, again, this whole thing. Uh, the way I describe it, Joe, is, is that and Simon Sinek and others talk about it very well as well, where we talk about being on purpose, where we talk about truly understanding why it is that we get out of bed every morning. And one way of saying that is, you know, I get out of bed to create value for the people that I serve. Once you understand this whole thing about being on purpose and understanding why it is that you do things, and specifically, you get up every morning to create value for the clients you select to work with. And the moment that you do that, you'll start to measure new things, you'll start to free up your time in interesting ways. 
and you'll have a much more purposeful firm, a firm that now, instead of you know measuring time, is actually measuring something quite, quite different. And another way of thinking about that is you're measuring the value that you create. So just by doing that, what you're doing is you're adding something very important into your accounting firm and what you're adding in and Joe we didn't really mention this in the book in quite the depth that that I think we need to mention it now in these times what you're adding in is you're adding in meaning and you're adding in purpose to what you do and the moment you start to add in meaning and purpose then what's interesting you will attract you know one of the ongoing discussions is oh my goodness how do you attract new talent well I can tell you how you don't You don't attract new talent by saying, by the way, we're going to measure every six minutes of your time. We're not going to do that. And what we didn't sell that six minutes. I mean, that's the other part of it. And I just measure it, putting you in that prison. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to sell that actual, you know, six minutes you worked, not what you did, not how it impacted the client, not what the value was, not if it accomplished anything, just that you had the clock running for six minutes and were focused on the client somehow mentally or with your fingers. That's right. Um, It almost sounds, if it wasn't so prevalent, so so common to us all, and so common to our experience, it would almost sound comical, right? (laughs) Um, But but we've just kind of taken it for granted. Paul, what I'm hearing you say is, Pricing is not objective. Pricing is subjective. Yeah, I is. asked you for a magic formula, right? I'm going to go out and incre- I'm going to go increase value for my client. Tell me how to price it. And you start talking about perception, life change, purpose. That wasn't by accident. No. You're telling me there is no formula. No. There, it's life impact and an agreement that you make with the client over what that life impact, uh, you know, the value that they receive. I was just in Austin last week with a consultant who's interesting enough, not from Austin. He came to one of our boot camps and he said he made a small change that would normally be considered just a a technical improvement in the way that they use QuickBooks for his client. But because of the change that he made, not only can the business measure themselves better but the spouse who is having to do all of these convoluted tasks doesn't have to do them anymore, and she was able to get her life back. She had to come and sort of come alongside and work in the company, and she wanted to be 100% focused on her family and her, and her children, and he freed the wife up to do that. And in his example, he was not being melodramatic in any way. He said, I believed I saved their marriage. Oh, oh, of, of right. course. And, and, and right. can't, can't you imagine it? We just saved your marriage. By the way, it only took us six minutes to do that. So well, Exactly. Not quite six minutes. But the moral of the story is it took him about six hours. Yeah, I know. Right? And so, so first, clients aren't buying hours. And second, if we're selling them, we're almost always selling ourselves short oh, um, without without a doubt and and you know Joe it, it's very interesting uh, and by the way I, I, I do want to thank you for uh, this conversation because uh, it's an important conversation and, and, and just by having it um, you know I'm, I'm getting uh, additional clarity 
uh, around the the value that uh, accountants bring. But the, the but again, uh, you know, you come back. And Joe, you, you know, I mean, you're one of the people in the world to think about the impact of technology. And, and so what actually happens is, again, you know, we embrace the technology and we think, wow, that's really cool. But unless and until we embrace something else, which is what you've been talking about, then my goodness, we're, we're not really playing the kind of game that we can be playing. And in my view, that we should be playing. And in my view, that no other profession like this can actually play. Uh, boy, very well put, Paul, very well put. So to kind of you know summarize what we've talked about here today, we've talked about the obsession of the profession with efficiency. And Paul, you've told us that that's not a bad goal, but what they need to be laser focused on, the end goal, the ultimate goal, and if they're gonna be obsessed about anything, it should be effectiveness. And then we talked about how in the book, that effectiveness, truest measure, is I increased wealth for the client. And in the example I gave, that wealth could be non-monetary. That that, that was an increase of wealth, that that their marriage was saved and that their domestic life was stabilized and and, uh, that the company could measure itself better. Um, And then, you know, we distinguished between the service workers and the knowledge workers. And we talked about how the complexity of a service worker's role could thrust them from blue collar to profession, but it doesn't make them a knowledge worker just because it's complex. And then a knowledge worker leverages intellectual capital to the transformation of its object. And it was kind of rephrasing what you said there, Paul. Yeah, 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 you got it. Absolutely. And then that just all drove us into value price, because if we're going to be agents of small business transformation or agents of business transformation, as Gary Boomer would say, we've got to figure out how to price that crazy thing. And this is where you didn't give us uh, a warm spot to land because there isn't one. You, you know, I wanted a formula out of you, and you could, there's just no formula. There's just no formula. You, you've got to figure it out with the client. But what an awesome adventure you just challenged us to go down on that subjective pricing. So thank you for that, Paul. It's been great having you on the podcast. I have, I just absolutely love your book. Thank you so much for writing it. I know that you're thinking a little, you know, 10 years ago, wow, you know, this is, this is uh, sort of something in my past, but I, I want you to know that in my life and also in the lives of so many accounting professionals here in the U.S., it's very present for us. Oh. So thank you. Thank you for putting pen to paper. Oh, well, thank you. And I, and I, and I like that, that thought, Joe, that it's, it's very present. And what I understand is that there's, there's more that we have to do on it because there's so much opportunity that there is in, in firms right now to do amazing things. And just as a final observation on that whole transforming businesses, what that actually does is transform lives. And Simon Sinek said to me recently, he said, Paul, you need to understand that all purpose is human. And when we focus on those individuals in front of us and look at the lives that we can change and we can change them in an effective way by moving to these new models, by gosh, what a privilege it is to be able to serve in this profession. Hmm. Very well put, Paul. The book for everybody is The Firm of the Future. It's by Ron Baker and Paul Dunn. You can get it anywhere that you can buy an ebook. You can get it on Amazon.com. Just Google for it. Uh, get it, read it and begin to apply it. The challenge from Paul Fresh to us today is be knowledge workers, be agents of small business transformation, price accordingly, 
And as Paul just so eloquently put, change lives, not just businesses, because every business is run by a living, breathing human being whose life you can impact. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast and our conversation with Paul Dunn. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.